I want to thank you for joining us again this morning. If you are like me, I am just biting at the bit for us to be together soon. I am rejoicing that uh, it appears that the state has begun to some degree to do a reopening. But as you know, our governor is still asking that groups of 10 or more not convene together. And because of that, it still makes it necessary that for, for us not to, uh, to be together. I am uh, planning this week to present a plan to Tom Getz, our presiding elder, to begin outlining some of my ideas for what reopening may in fact look like. I am sure that uh, we will uh, go back and forth a little bit between elders and our staff as we begin to chart this course. The reality is some of you will think we're not moving fast enough. Others are going to perhaps believe that we are moving too fast. And I am certain that we probably aren't going to get it exactly right. right. Excuse me. But I want to ask you this. As we think about the future here and what ministry is going to look like, can we commit together as followers of Jesus to be kind and patient with one another? That in this process, we might in fact demonstrate his character. As you've uh, heard, I'm sure, we think that this is an opportunity to uh, start, uh, uh, Dave mentioned this just a few minutes ago, uh, we think that there is an opportunity to start some growth groups. And I want to impress on you, we need leaders in order to do that. So if you are willing, please let Dave know. I, I, I think that's a start. But this is what I am committed to, and I am, uh, appreciate your following along. During this process, we're going to be cautious. We're going to be caring. And then thirdly, I would say we're going to be creative. Those three things are in my mind, cautious, caring, and creative. The other thing that comes to mind is this. We're called to be good citizens. We, as best as we can, are going to follow the directives of our governor. The scriptures call us to be good citizens so far as it does not hinder us from also being good Christians. And so we're going to, to balance that. We want to respect those that God has placed in authority. And so we will make every effort to comply with those that, that God has put there. But we are intending to meet together soon. Will you pray for us as we navigate these waters? I want to ask you to uh, join me in uh, the scriptures this morning. I want to pick up kind of where I left off uh, a couple of weeks ago. We're returning to the Gospel of John, John chapter 21. And I want to pick up right in the middle of a story that some of you I'm sure are familiar with. But I want to begin with verse 7, and then I'm going to read down through verse 19. John chapter 21, verse 7. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, following the net full of fish, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 
but even with so many the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then Jesus said to him, follow me. May God add his blessing to that word this morning. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the story of Thomas who discovered that the resurrected Jesus had no problem coming to him when the doors were locked and the windows were closed. In fact, you'll remember that when Thomas saw Jesus, his response was, my Lord and my God. He could trust Jesus with his life and his future. Now, I told you that John, it seems, gives us the most detail concerning the events after Jesus' resurrection. In the pages of this gospel, there is another drama, in fact, that is happening underneath the surface of the story of the resurrection. You'll remember that on the night of Jesus' arrest and trials, you will remember that Peter had warmed himself by a fire near the proceedings. And suddenly, a, 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 a man who was related to a man that Peter had injured in the garden suddenly asked him, Did I not see you, Peter, in the garden with Jesus? Well, Peter, of course, denied it fervently. And if you know the story, you know that it was the third time that Peter had denied knowing Jesus. He said, I do not know the man. Just then a rooster crowed in the distance. The door to the court chamber opened and Peter, gazing across the embers of that fire, caught his master's eyes. And Luke tells us that Peter, crushed by the weight of his remorse, weeps bitterly. Of course, Jesus went on to be crucified and buried, but three days later, he rose again. Now, if you examine the gospel record, what is interesting is that after the resurrection, Jesus had not yet spoken directly to Simon Peter. Now, it's not like Jesus had not had the opportunity. The gospel records, uh, record tells us that up to that point, Jesus had appeared to many and had talked to many. You remember that Jesus spoke to Mary at the tomb that Easter morning. Jesus spent hours, in fact, talking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He had appeared to the disciples as a group, and he spoke to Thomas. But the record is clear. 
Peter has yet to say a word to Christ, and even more worrisome, I think, to Peter, Christ has yet to speak a word to him. Before the cross, Jesus had told Peter, upon you I will build the foundation of a church, but but that was before all these denials. Now, surely Peter had been disqualified. After all, Peter had acted as if he did not know Christ. Was Christ now acting as if he didn't know Peter? Let me ask you, have you ever had a falling out with someone and yet inevitably you're going to see that person in a social setting? You know, unfortunately in ministry, that's happened to me more than once and I hate it. I'd much rather be reconciled to that person, but sometimes that just doesn't work out. Sometimes it's not possible. But there you are with others and this other person, and, and in that occasion, you're almost forced to act like everything is fine. But you end up completely ignoring the other person, and of course they ignore you. But all along, you're aware of the tension, and it's just awful. For Peter, the the weight of guilt must have been incredibly intense. He had denied Jesus three times now, and Jesus was alive, but Peter, he felt like nothing. So what we see Peter do is he, he does what is most familiar to him. He gets on a boat and he goes fishing. At least on a boat, he has a rudder to steer him through his course of shame and disgrace. It occurs to me that, you know, when you're in trouble, when you're facing problems, it's not the worst thing you can do to say, you know what, I'm going fishing. But again, if you know this story earlier in this chapter, you know that Peter is failing at that too. All night, and he catches nothing. Early that morning, as dawn begins to break, it's Jesus who appears on the shore. Now, you can read the whole story, but Peter and the other disciples are instructed by Jesus to cast out the net, and they haul in a great catch of fish. Yet again, Peter has failed, but Jesus gives him instruction, and Peter hauls in more fish than he knows what to do with. Peter, when he recognized it was Jesus on the shore, he loses all sensibility. Now, of course, that doesn't surprise us. We know Peter to be impulsive and at times absurd. John says almost comically that Peter, once he recognizes it's Jesus, he jumps out of the boat into the water and swims to the shore. So in my mind, I see the scene. This is Peter. He's not walking on the water, mind you. He's wet and cold, disheveled. He's quite the spectacle. And John, the writer, makes the point that the other disciples thought it was just as well to take the boat to the shore. But why did Peter do such a thing? I think he just wanted Jesus to notice him. He, he wants Jesus to say something to him. He wants to stand out. But you'll notice here that Jesus doesn't seem to pay any attention at all. Jesus invites the group to come and share breakfast with him. But there's still no word from Christ, no direct personal acknowledgement of Peter. That breakfast must have been the most awkward, longest, most uncomfortable meal 
Peter had ever eaten. In fact, I don't think he probably ate much at all. I think he sat there looking at the corner of his eye, just trying to see if Jesus would give him a loving glance. Boy, would that have made a difference. But it appears that breakfast concludes and these, still, these two men have still not shared a word. Now, I do want to make this observation. Yes, Jesus may not have said a word, but I do want you to see this morning that Jesus, in fact, had been serving Jesus or serving Peter. Jesus had already provided a great catch of fish. Jesus had prepared a breakfast for Peter. You know, there are times when it may seem like God isn't speaking, but in fact, if you open your eyes, you will see his tender mercies all around you. I wonder how this morning, if we would just take a look, you would begin to see how God has in fact been speaking to you without ever saying a word. I came across a passage in Luke recently that I've been reflecting on. Luke 12, verse 37 says, It will be good for those servants whose masters find them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, the master will dress himself to serve, will then have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. Now, this is a mystery. Here we see Jesus resurrected, glorified, holy in every way. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the conqueror of death. And in humility, he serves breakfast. I think about how God has served me. I woke up this morning. Let's start right there. Charles Spurgeon said, humans are dust held together by daily miracles. The fact that I got up and I had a, a, a air to breathe and I had food to eat is evidence that God is merciful and gracious. But there is so much more. I, I kissed my wife and then I went outside and what a beautiful day to enjoy. The blooms are, 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 are the, 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 the trees are blossoming, flowers are blooming. We, we, we have the experience of just taking in that beautiful spring fresh air. And so even through this crisis, I've got to tell you, I've had plenty to eat. I've come to realize that COVID-19 may represent the number of pounds I'm going to gain during this process. Five years ago, we could not have connected and worshiped together through a live stream. It would not have worked. It would not have been possible. But here we have this technology now. My family is safe. My kids are all home. And man, do I enjoy them. I have a staff I get to work with, elders I trust, and then, of course, I have all of you. And you have been so gracious and kind. God, even when it seems you are silent, you are shouting out your glory and grace and tender mercies. So, in fact, Peter has experienced the mercy of Jesus, but he doesn't know it. He doesn't know how far that mercy goes. 
For him, he's stuck in tension and guilt and shame. And maybe that's some of you this morning. You don't realize how much God has been merciful to you. You are weighed down by guilt or disappointment, fear, shame. You can't see how good God has been to you. Several years ago, Charles Swindoll said his sister asked him a question he had never been asked before. She asked him, what is your favorite feeling? He said, I'd never thought about that. Have you ever thought about your, your favorite feeling? I know I love it when Ohio State beats Michigan. That's got to be one of my top feelings ever. But Charles Wendell responded this way. He, he said, I believe my favorite feeling is accomplishment. He said, and boy, you know, knowing Chuck Swindoll, great preacher, pastor, president of seminaries, author, all those things. He said, one of my favorite words is the word finished. He then asked her the same question. And she said, my favorite feeling is relief. He said, I thought that was a great answer. Relief. Peter here is looking for relief. From his guilt. He had denied Jesus. He had hidden in the shadows. He had lost himself sitting by the enemy's fire. Peter was looking for some sense of relief, and maybe you are too this morning. The Bible says that during breakfast, Jesus broke bread and shared some fish. And it was after breakfast, after they had eaten, that Jesus finally addresses Peter. I wonder why Jesus waited. I often wonder why God doesn't speak to me sooner. Why he waits to give me a clearer picture of what he's up to in my life. Maybe this morning you are waiting to hear from God. Why is it that Jesus waited? Was it for dramatic effect? Was it because Jesus was angry and he needed some space to compose himself? Or was it another test to see if Peter would stay? The Bible says, so when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter. You know, it occurs to me that there might be a clue in that phrase. It seems to me that if we are to hear from Christ... We must first be willing to commune with him. It was after he broke the bread, after they spent time together. In other words, maybe we have to commune with, with Christ before we are ready to hear from Christ. That means that we have to make a, a commitment to listen, a commitment to be patient and wait. That means maybe that we have to open our Bibles and commit to wait in prayer. One person said that there are 10 people who will fight for the Bible as compared to one who will actually read it. I think one of the blessings of this pause in so much of our activity is perhaps a new opportunity for us to pursue Jesus now, I know that there are many who are suffering. And boy, those who are on the front lines, they have certainly not paused at all. And we acknowledge them and we are grateful for them. 
But for many of us, this has disrupted our routines of busyness and going from here to there. Someone said, you know, I always thought I would clean out my closet when I had the time. But now that I have the time, I realize that's not the reason I'm not going to clean out my closet. I wonder if the same thing is true about our relationship with God. We've always said, you know, if I had more time, I would get closer to God. But now that we've had the time, are we praying more? Searching the scriptures more? Listen, friend, God speaks when we get into his presence, when we're patient, when we're waiting. When the only thing in the world we want to hear is his voice, I believe it is then that he begins to speak. And so I ask you this morning, have you heard him lately? Do you want to hear him? Do you take the time to sit in quiet, maybe in the morning hours, and just commune with him? This has been a time to listen. Now, I think it's interesting, the first word that Jesus says to Peter is a question. As you know the story, three times he asks Peter the same question, do you love me? He repeats that question three times, do you love me? Now, I've looked at the commentaries and there's much I could say here, but most of them will suggest to some degree that because Peter denied Christ three times around a fire, that Jesus has Peter stand again around a fire and reaffirm, reaffirm his allegiance to Christ. There's almost a formality of reinstituting, reinstalling Peter as a disciple. In other words, well, Peter, you denied me three times, so I need you to stand here and tell me that you loved me three times, and the memory of that will be wiped away. Now, I don't want to dismiss that. I think there may be some truth in that. But I think there's a danger in looking at this passage, and it would be really easy for us then to forget the significance of the question Jesus is asking. Peter, do you love me? Because when it all comes down to it, that is the foundational question. All authentic Christianity begins and ends right there. Do you love me? That we should love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all our soul, all our strength. Listen, this morning, I want to ask you that question. Do you love Jesus? So, sometimes we make Christianity about other things. We ask other questions. Do you go to church? Do you give your money? Do you join a small group? Do you vote for the right political party? Do you agree with the pastor? Do you dress the right way? We can ask a lot of questions, but the reality is the most fundamental and important question we ask is the question Jesus asks Peter. Do you love me? You see, we can love Christ because we can know with certainty he first loved us. 
The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8 or 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for Peter and his sin. Christ died for you and your sin. Jesus loved you before you sinned and after you sinned. He already knows that you've denied him. He knows what you've done. He knows where you've fallen short. And yeah, it can be an ugly mess, but know this. Christ asks you today, do you love me? Because he loves you. I just want you to know that this morning. He loves you. And so let me encourage you this morning somewhere today for you to just get away and let him know that you love him. Sometimes we talk about making a decision for Christ, and I believe in that. But this morning, I am asking you to simply get away and delight in Christ. This morning, let him know, I love you. Now, let me say this, that doesn't mean because he loves you and you love him, it will be easy. I think we need to know where love leads. Love means that you can trust him absolutely with your life. But as this conversation continues, Peter is told by Jesus that he will die a martyr's death. In other words, it will not be easy and comfortable. And yet Jesus says, follow me. I want you to know this morning that love does not insulate us from pain or disease or problems. But love does change the way we view those things. Peter says, I love you, Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, you will be killed. Because you love me, matter to the one who loves Jesus, because he is the one who has conquered death. I came across a news report of a priest in Italy. His name was Father Giuseppe Berardelli. He was 72, and he contracted the coronavirus. His condition was such that it required a ventilator, but in Italy at the time, ventilators were in such desperate short supply that he made the decision, a fateful one. He refused to take the ventilator, asking that it be given to a younger coronavirus patient that he didn't even know. Shortly after, he died. Now, why would that man do such a thing? I think it's this, he knew that Jesus loved him and he knew that he loved Jesus and his love gave him the power to give his life away. My prayer for each one of us is that we would have that same power. Do you love him? He loves you. Let's pray together. 
Our Heavenly Father, I, I pray that in these moments we would reflect on your love and we would hear that question that Peter heard. And we would know that moment by moment you want to be there with us. That, Lord, you come alongside of us and because of our relationship with you, there is no problem that is, Lord, able to ultimately conquer us because we know that you're, we, we belong to you. We confess, Lord, right now we need you. We want to commune with you. We pray for the grace to love you more and understand to a new degree your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that you want to use us. May we have the power to give our lives away to the glory of your name. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.